Now let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Pray that you speak to every one of us. You know our needs, you know our longings, you know our heart's desire. But better than that, you know our future. You know what you have planned for us. And I pray that you would help us today to step into that, to trust you, to walk with you, to not let fear be our master but that we would realize that we trust you and when we place our trust in you as we sing about today, that we shall not be shaken, that you will hold us firm. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be great. Thank you. Say thanks to the choir again for the band and leaders for all that they've done for us. So just let me kind of give you a heads up on what we've been doing, okay? So if you're new today, you'll, you'll be able to come right in and join in with us. So we've been in a series that we've been calling Why We Do That, and the whole idea is to talk about why we do the things we do here, and then, well, you're going to say, well, I already know a lot of the things we do here, so why do you want to teach us those things again? Well, I want to teach it from a different frame. Oftentimes, we come to church... We hear that you would do these things and some of the disciplines of the spiritual faith and walking with God, and that we would realize that as we're hearing them, that it sounds like just boxes to check, or it sounds like rules to follow, or it sounds like regulations that I need to adhere to. And what happens is we you know, engage that way, but none of that will sustain us. None of that will keep us motivated to be moving forward in our relationship with him. So what I want to do is just to say, here's why we do the things we do here. You can trust us on this. Here's why we do the things we do here. It's so that we can grow in our intimacy with God. That's what we want. We all want to have a deeper relationship with him, whether we know it or not. We need that. And so here are some principles. Here's some disciplines. Here's some exercises. Here's some ways that you can get closer to him. And so I just want to help us to understand that that's what it's all about in this series, is being able to know him. So if you would, grab your message notes out of your program. You can find them on the inside. That's going to be helpful for you today to take notes and go along with me. Uh, if you have your Bible, I'd love it if you'd open to John chapter 13. That's where we're going to camp out for a lot of our time today. And just want to mention, if you don't own a Bible... We'd love for you to have a Bible in your home. And so if you stop right out those doors or bookshelves, you can grab a Bible. It's our gift to you, and you can take it with you today. So right at the top of the notes is our theme verse for the series that we're in. It comes from 2 Peter, and Peter's writing to the church of his day, and he's talking about this whole idea of knowing God and then uh, the disciplines it takes to be able to do that. He says this, by his divine power. I just want to pause right there and just help some of us out today. Many times we get into walking with God and engaging in spiritual disciplines, and we try to do it on our own power. We end up defeated. We end up depleted. We end up discouraged. And many times we end up on the side of the road and maybe even bailing out because we try to do it on our power. So first of all, I just want you to know, we're talking about a lifestyle that you live with God as the source, okay? God is the source of power. And he goes on to say this, God has given us some of what we need for living a godly life. Is that what it says? It says he's given us what? Everything we need, everything that you need and I need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. So that's the key, coming to know him. 
That is intimacy. The word know is an intimate word that talks about really a man and a woman coming together in intimacy. So we want to know him at the soul level, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So what we're doing in a series is we're saying, here is the pathway to intimacy with God. If you want to be intimate with God, here are some steps that you can take with his power in you and through you to have a deeper relationship with him. So I put the key idea at the top of your notes there. It says this, we do what we do so that we become who God made us to be. Isn't that beautiful? We do what we do. Why? So we can become who God made us to be. God made us to be in relationship to him. He made us to be like his son. And so we're engaging in what we do for a purpose. And that purpose is that we can live the fullest life that Jesus said he came to give in John 10, 10. We would all experience that together. So today we come to one of those stories in the Bible that many kind of take out of a wrong turn from this, or they kind of look at it in a, I would say an incorrect way. And so we're going to look at a story today in John chapter 13, and on the surface, when you look at it, it looks like it's about foot washing. It's about foot washing, but it's not. Foot washing is central to the story. It's the tool, it's the moment that Jesus uses to teach a story, but this story is really about serving. This story is about humility. It's about kneeling low getting off of my perch, whatever my perch happens to be in the levels of attainment I think I've received in life or up on the rung of the ladder that I would come down and I would kneel low and serve. So before we get to John 13, we've got to go to Luke 22. So we have to go there first because we have to look at these verses from Luke 22 because they're really going to help us to understand what is actually happening in John chapter 13. Luke and John are both writing different account, I mean, the same account, but from different perspectives of the Last Supper. And so Luke describes something that happened this way. So they're having the meal or right before the meal, they're having this opportunity and the disciples are talking among themselves. And this is what it says in verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be greatest. So here are the disciples. They're having lunch. They're having this meal with Jesus. And so they're, you know, jawing at each other. And if you read Luke two other times, he talks about they're jawing at each other about who's going to be the greatest. And that's what's happening at the meal. Jesus is listening to this. He's right there. And so he's like the one that's the greatest, right? But they're trying to figure out which one's going to be in the position to be at his right hand, that when he does come into glory, we'll be able to have the benefits that come and just leak out over them from what Jesus is actually attaining. So that's what they're thinking about. Jesus said to them, who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? That's just a common question. Who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who's serving? Well, it's obvious that in their culture, and in our culture too, that the one that's sitting at the table is greater than the one who serves. So he says, that's true. And he says this, is it not the one who is at the table? That's the greater one. But he says this, but I, I'm switching this, and I'm going to tell you, I came, I'm the greatest, I came as one who serves. This is just human nature, folks. It's just human nature for us to do this. Jesus is in the room. He's the greatest. The disciples start arguing about who's the greatest, and then... Uh, over which one of them was going to be the greatest. He overheard them, and he cleared the air by pointing out who in the room was the greatest. And it just challenges the way we think. See, in our culture, I mean, it's just human nature. We think this. We think those who are considered the lowest in society, that their job is to serve those who are higher. So then we strive all the time 
to try where? Not to be the what? Lowest, so that we can be higher than someone else, so that we can have someone else serve us. That's our human nature. And we fall into that. But in God's kingdom, what Jesus is pointing out and what he wants us to get from this story is that those who are labeled as the greatest in society standards by however high they are on the rung of the ladder, that they are called to come down the ladder to kneel down and to humble themselves and to serve those who have been classified as the lowest. This is going to rack us. This is going to change us a lot. If we were to get to this point of realizing that we're not called to climbing the ladder, but we're actually called to come down the ladder and serve those who are the lowest. So let's move over to John 13. We're going to see where Jesus uses this physical lesson of foot washing to teach a spiritual reality. So he's going to take this whole argument about who's the greatest, and he's going to use that. This is just what happened at dinner. Look at the disciples handed this to him like a, on a platter, right? That he's going to get to teach on this. And then something else happens here that even makes it stronger. And Jesus just takes full advantage of the situation. So I'm going to make three observations from John 13 that will help us to see ourselves and then how we can serve joyfully. And the first one is this. If I'm going to serve joyfully, I must experience his love. I must experience his love. So we have to set the stage a little bit. So Jesus and his disciples, that we're going to read about in just a minute, but they are coming apart, I mean, coming aside to celebrate the Passover, the Jewish Passover meal together. Now, this meal was instituted by God and given to God's people that they would eat to commemorate the moment when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. We, the story is that there were 10 plagues. And that every time that there was a plague, that the Egyptian Pharaoh would say, no, 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 I'm not letting, my pe- letting your people go. And then so God said, well, I'm going to have to let this plague come. And it was the plague of death. And so the angel of death would come and come across the land. And every home that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the firstborn would die. And so God's people, they knew what to do. So they put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the angel of death came, and they were spared. And because they were spared then, and there was such anguish in the land, that the Pharaoh let the people go. And so God said, you will have this meal on a regular basis to remember what I've done for you. And so it's time for that celebration. So it's kind of like, if you think about this, it was actually looked forward to. So if you were to take culturally, um, something that we would look forward to, just kind of know that this is kind of the night before Christmas, okay? And so they've all looked forward to it. It's the meal that they long to be able to participate in and to be together. And they have it with his 12 disciples and them alone in an upper room. So he's called this secret meeting. So he's had this public ministry now for three years, and this is the night before he's going to go to a cross. So he calls a meeting, has them go to a secret place so they can have the Passover meal with just him. It's him, Jesus, and his 12 followers. So just think about this, is what's happening is that Jesus wants to be with his 12 best friends. Remember, Jesus was fully human. He wants to be with his 12 best friends. He's going to go to the cross, and we've talked a lot about the cruelty of the cross and the experience of being there, and he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to give his life, not just for his 12 friends, but for the entire world. And so he's feeling this, and he loves them, and he wants to be with them, only them, 
on this night. So they're all gathered. And I, maybe it's because it was a secret place, and maybe because it wasn't the norm, and it was out of order, and they were maybe just a little bit confused about what was going on. Someone forgot of taking care of the foot washing, the foot washing of the people. So in this day, just know it was a common courtesy that when you came to someone's home, that there would be a servant, and usually it was the lowest servant available, the lowest servant possible would wash the guests' feet as they came into the home. So foot, foot washing was necessary. Just know that. It was necessary. So it was kind of like when they would go walking around the streets. The streets weren't paved. The streets were dirty, and they wore sandals. And so as they walk along in their sandals, not only that, the streets were not only dirty, but when uh, people went down the streets, carts went down the streets, animals went down the streets, and they pooped and peed in the street. And so all that's worked into the dirt and the dust. And so I don't mean to be gross about this, but they're walking along, and when they get to wherever they're going, guess what's on their feet? It's what they've been walking through. And so this was cultural. And so when they would get to someone's house, they would say, well, you're, you know, if you're going to be a good host here, then you're going to wash the stuff off of someone's feet. You're going to have a servant there to make that available to do that. So it was expected that. But someone, someone missed this detail at this special feast. The disciples were all gathered. Jesus was there. And now let's just read what happened, okay? So in verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, we could just breeze over that phrase, but I think this is the central phrase in the entire story. And I think this is the one I want you to hear most. Having loved his own who were in the world. So he's in a personal relationship with these 12 men. Intimate relationship. They've gotten to know each other, walk with each other. They've gotten to you know, go on trips together. They've gotten to learn from each other. They've gotten to laugh together. They've gotten to experience healings. They've gotten to experience teachings. They've gotten to see all this. They've given their lives for him. I just want you to notice the depth of the tenderness right now in this statement. So this week, this is the phrase that hit me the most, and I spent the most of my thought time right here. And uh, literally, it was at one moment in my office crying as I was just thinking about how much Jesus loved them. And in the picture and example here is that Jesus didn't only love them, but he loves me this way. Jesus loves me, and he loves me to the end. When it says it loves me to the end, it's talking about perfect love. It's talking about the kind of love that can only come from God, completed love all the way to the end of life, the end of life and then forever. He loves me. The only example I could think is that just uh, this week we lost a, a dear sweet woman to death here in our church. Her name was Ida. Ida and Carl sat back on the back row of this service almost every week. Ida was in a wheelchair. Ida and Carl had been married 63 years. And he would bring her in in the wheelchair, and she was, had a lot of physical problems, and so her posture was like this in the wheelchair, and he would bring her in, and so they would, um, unlike many of you, they would get here 20 minutes early uh, for the service. <laughs> 
I, just a dig, okay? Just got to get it in there. And so they would get here 20 minutes early, and then he would make sure that she was settled, and then they would just sit there and wait for the service to start. He loved his wife so much. And then this week, she went to the hospital, and it was discovered that she was going to die. And so Carl sat with her in the hospital. And can you imagine the love that he was feeling for her as she was going to pass into eternity and glory? What he was feeling, how he was experiencing that, how he loved her, and that he was saying, I, just, he, I don't know if he said this in the room, but this is how his action showed. He loved her to the end. He was faithful to her to the very end. And when we have our memorial service here uh, on the 8th, no, that's one of the things that we'll get to talk about together. Well, that's a picture I wanted to give you of what I think was going on with Jesus. He was feeling on a human level the emotions that someone like Carl would feel when his wife of 63 years was going to go to heaven. And he was sitting there thinking of all the times they'd been together, all the experiences they had, and how much he loved her, and how much he really didn't want her to go, but how much he knew that they would be together in eternity. That's the picture here. That's the kind of love Jesus is showing towards his disciples, and I believe that's the kind of love that Jesus wants to show toward you and me. Jesus loves us perfectly. He loves us completely. So I had an email this week that helps me with this next thought woman wrote me and uh, gave me her word for the year. And the word for the year came from my prayer from last Sunday. And in my prayer last Sunday, I prayed and said, God is not mad at you. And so that's her phrase of the year that she's going to carry. She can come to believe that God is not mad at her. So I just want to say to you today, if you feel that God is mad at you, that feel that somehow you've disappointed God, that you feel that somehow God's finished with you, that somehow God doesn't have patience for you, that somehow God's just about to write you off in some way, I just want you to hear these words, that God loves you all the way to the end. And there's a place for all of us. Amen. He loves you to the end, and he will be with you even when you end. And then you get to be with him in glory to experience that love forever. So we must experience that love. And that's what this story is all about. If I'm going to be a servant of the Most High King, I have to do it out of love. It has to be from that level. So let's go on. The evening meal was in progress. Then the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Just pause there. So when Jesus washed the feet, of his disciples, he washed the feet of all of his disciples. Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. This is truly the best picture you can have, I believe, of loving your neighbors. I mean, loving your enemies. Jesus loved his enemy and washed his feet. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So the only thing I can say here is awkward. It's awkward. That's exactly what this is. It's extremely awkward. They've been talking about who's the greatest. They realize right now that Jesus has been there and that he's sitting at the meal. And the culture of that day, they sat down and they would lean on the left arm and they would eat with the right arm and their feet would be extended out either to the side or to the back. And that everyone's feet was covered with 
yeah, gunk. And so they're sitting there like that, and all of a sudden they realize that no one's tended to, not only Jesus, but no one's tended to each other. They were only caring about who was the greatest. And then Jesus gets up, he takes off his cloak, he puts on a towel around his waist, he fills up a basin with water. This is awkward, folks. <laughs> this has just got to be one of the most awkward moments the disciples have ever been in. And it says, he poured water into a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with the towel that was wrapped around him. They were oblivious to the fact that no one had done the obvious and washed the feet of the other disciples. They were too busy arguing about themselves, about who was the greatest, to see that there, right there was Jesus. And they could have washed all the feet and washed Jesus' feet, but they missed out on the moment. He did it because he loved them. And they received his love that night. And I believe as awkward as it was, I'll just say it this way, that there was no shame. There was no shame. Because Jesus would not want them to walk away that night feeling shame. He would want them to walk away feeling love. And so he wanted to give them an example of true love. And when he did that, he showed them love, but he also showed them how he wanted them to treat others as well. See, no one offered them the most menial of tasks. Is that how it happens in your house? You have menial tasks, and so everybody overlooks them, right? Everybody overlooks them, but finally somebody says, ah, okay, I'll do it. See, nobody, they did, everybody overlooked this menial task, but Jesus used this as a perfect opportunity to show people love. He knows this. Here's what he knows. He knows the next day he's going to the cross, that he's going to die the cruelest death that a person could die. And he's going to do it for them, and he's going to do it for everyone who would come and follow after him. And so, folks, if we're going to be able to experience joy and service, we have to experience the love, that, that kind of love for us that God has. And I'm going to invite you today to experience that, to know it and walk in it. Second observation is this. If we're going to serve joyfully with Jesus, I must receive his cleansing. I must receive his gift of cleansing. So it goes on to say this. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Now, just so you know, this is the way it was with Jesus all the time. No one ever knew what he was doing, right? And then, but later they would come and they would understand the parable or what was happening at the moment. And then, but Peter says, no, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Well, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash my entire body. Give me a bath. <laughs> Jesus answered and he says this. Those who had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you is clean. And it says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone is clean. So Jesus starts around the table, and he starts washing feet. And you know, this didn't happen quickly. You think about how long this would actually take to stop with every disciple and wash the feet and then dry the feet and move on to the next one. And finally, he gets around to Peter. And one thing we know about Peter, especially if you read the Bible, the New Testament, we know that Peter had a way of saying what he felt before he said what he thought. So feelings ruled his mouth. And so he would always speak what he felt. And he did that right there. And he's true to form. And when Jesus got to him, he said, no, you will never wash my feet. Now, I just want to give us an idea of what that means. What Peter was saying, now, sure, there was some 
uh, Jesus, and he's the teacher and Lord, they're going to call him, and some of that is going on. And he says, why would I ever let the teacher and Lord watch my feet? But there, maybe there was some pride there. Maybe there's some pride there. No, you don't need to wash my feet because I'm actually pretty good. I'm actually a lot different than I used to be. And I'm not sure I need my feet washed. In fact, I've walked with you for three years and I've been with you. And so I'm not sure if necessarily I need this part of what you offer. That could have been one of the things that's happening at this moment. And so the key for all of us, when Jesus says this, he says, Peter, unless you let me cleanse you, and he's referring completely to what's about to happen when he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood, that we would be cleansed by his blood. Unless you let me cleanse me, you will have no part of me. And so Peter's realizing at that moment he needs to let Jesus cleanse him. And so the folks, the same is true for you and me. Unless we let Jesus cleanse us, we will never belong to him. And we will never then be able to experience the love that we talked about in the first point. And basically what Jesus is saying to Peter is this, and maybe this will set some of you free. He's saying to Peter, you don't belong to me because of what you do for me, Peter. You don't belong to me because you picked yourself up by your own bootstraps. You belong to me because of what I am doing for you. You must receive my cleansing. You cannot earn it. You cannot get there on your own. You must receive my cleansing. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to shed my blood. It's going to wash your sins away. Peter, that's enough. That's all you need. Rest in that. And you know what? There's another thing that Peter represents here that I just want to kind of give a kind of sidebar to. I think Peter also represents those of us in the room who have a hard time being served. Anybody already know that's you? Or you're elbowing someone next to you? They have a hard time being served. Peter had a hard time being served. And what Jesus was saying is till you come to the point where you can let go of your pride and you can admit you have needs and let others serve you, you'll miss out on the gifts of the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying you'll miss out on salvation, but I'm saying you'll miss out on some of the benefits of walking with Jesus. Some of you just need today, you're, this is the message for you. You're going to hear me in a minute ask you to serve. Some of you, the message is, let others serve you. You're overextended beyond belief. And you need to stop. And you need to say, oh, why am I doing this? It's because I don't know how to let others serve me. Whether it's pride, whether it's brokenness, whether it's overfunctioning and control, however that happens to be, you need to let him serve you. Okay, third is this. Third observation, I must follow his example. I must follow his example. So it goes on to say this in verse 12. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. So you call me teacher, meaning that they've said to him, you're our rabbi, we're going to follow you. So you call me teacher, that means that you think I'm wise. That means that when I say things, that you're going to actually bring them in and you're going to assimilate them and there's going to become who you are. So that's teacher. But then it calls you Lord. What that means is I take in what he's done, taught me and I do what he says. So I can be taught by Jesus, but not do what Jesus says. But he's saying there are people here who not only are taught by him, but they also do what he says. And so that's the people he's talking to. And that's the people he wants to talk to here as well. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Would you underline that? I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is saying here, hey, what you've experienced is that you've watched the, the greatest person ever to walk the planet has washed your feet. He's washed your feet. It's an example for you. And now I want you to live out the example I've shown you. He's also saying, not only is it an example, but it's actually, listen, it's a command. If he's the Lord, it's a command that we would love as he has loved us. Now, folks, just know, Jesus isn't instituting a sacrament here. So a sacrament would be communion or the Lord's Supper, or uh, communion or baptism. So that would be a sacrament. And sacraments are things that the church does for all time to display the change that's happened in them because of Christ. He's not instituting a sacrament. He's just giving an object lesson. He wasn't calling us to have a ministry of foot washing. Some of you are going, whoo, thank God. I hate it enough when we shake hands. I can't imagine what it'd be like to wash feet. (laughs) He wasn't calling to that. He was calling us to a ministry of service where we as people see ourselves as servants as our number one identifying marker. Servant. On the last light of his life, he wants to teach his disciples that serving others is the most important calling that we have been given. On the night before he would face this cruel death and die on the cross, he took his last, his final teaching moment. Last and final. Do you get this? What's most important to him? 24 hours before you die, what would you do? Last important to him was to teach his followers to follow him in service. Serve as I have served you. One of the books that, one of the authors I love to read, one of the speakers I like to listen to is Bob Goff. Uh, Those of you who are in student ministry got to hear him uh, last week at Unleashed at Thrive. And so he spoke there, but he has, you know, several books. He's an amazing speaker. And his book called Love Does, which is a great book. He has the second book is called Everybody Always. And it's all about, both of them are about just love and giving love away and all you do. Well, here's a quote from that book that I found very inspirational for me. He said this, our lives will never be about Jesus if we keep making everything about ourselves. Ouch. Everything about ourselves. And then it goes on to say this, planning to love people is different than just loving people. Do you know what that means? Yeah, I plan to do this, but getting around to doing it may never happen. So planning to love people is different than just loving people. It's easier to make plans than to make time. Whew, if this is you, here's how to fix it. Make love your plan. Instead of saying, I've got to make a plan, make love your plan, and you're going to do it. What if that was your plan? Honestly, what if that was your plan? When you leave this place today, you would leave today with a new plan for your life. And what if your new plan for your life would be this? I want to serve people. I want to serve people. I want to love people. And so when I leave here, I'm going to see myself as a servant. I'm going to look for opportunities to serve. I'm going to give myself away. I'm going to look for opportunities to show that Jesus is in me, that I've experienced his love, that I've been cleansed by him. I'm not doing this to attain anything, and so I'm going to still have margins, and I'm not going to get out of bounds, but I'm still going to see myself as a servant and give myself away. So here's the key idea. It goes all the way from what we just talked about. I am a beloved child of God, so meaning I've experienced his love and I continue to experience it. You are the beloved who has been gifted, so gifted with 
salvation or cleansing. And then the Bible teaches that everyone who has been cleansed by him has been given a gift by him. So that means if you know Jesus Christ personally, he has given you a gift, maybe more than one, gifted. But not only that, been gifted, but called by him. So he didn't give me gifts so I could just come and sit in a chair and so I could observe everything that happens around me and then I wouldn't be involved and I would leave and I would have some complaints about what happened as I left because I wasn't involved and I wasn't engaged and so I didn't really have that deep in my heart and my soul. But I've been called by him to give myself away, to humbly serve his purpose in my church, community, and world. That's what he's called us to do. So serve in my church. What would that mean? Well, there's lots of opportunities around here in my church where I could serve, where what, by my service is making it op, uh, I'm making it available for other people to be able to experience God and Jesus and love and be able to do it in age-appropriate ways across our campus and hospitality so that when they come, they feel welcomed and loved. They're able to have an experience while they're here, be able to have music that relates to them and where they're at in world and culture. And then when they leave, they want to come back. They want to come back. And that's what it is about serving here. So we want people to serve in church. But also serving a community. Well, that means we have opportunities in our community through our community impact teams. And this would be all the ministries that we support outside of Twin Cities that are involved in bringing Jesus to our community. And then other opportunities that we engage in along the way where we involve ourselves in the community for the community and to be helping there. You're going to see some of those in just a minute. And then lastly, in the world. Pastor John was in first service, and so I was able to acknowledge him, but they just came back from Uganda, got back late after two weeks there. And so we have people who serve by giving themselves away to go to Uganda, by supporting the people who go to Uganda, by praying for the people who go to Uganda, but other opportunities around the world that we participate in as well. So those are opportunities. I'm a beloved child of God who's been gifted and called by him to humbly serve his purpose in my community, church, and the world. And I'll say this, if you belong to him... You're part of his family. If you belong to him, you're essential. You know, some of you just don't think you're essential, don't think you're important, don't think you have anything to offer, you don't have anything to give. You're essential. If you belong to this family, he has called you to serve his church, his community, and the world. We're all vitally important if the church is going to be healthy. And I'll end with this quote from Mother Teresa. In case you wonder if you're important... Mother Teresa said, we know only too well that what we are doing is nothing more than a drop in the ocean. So what we could do, we could say, you know what I'm doing? Just says, it really doesn't matter. So you're not going to miss me if I'm not here. What I have to offer is very little. And she goes on to say this. But if the drop were not there, the ocean would be missing something. And just turn it this way. If you're not serving, this ocean's missing something. This ocean is not as full or as complete as it could be. I mean, sure, there's still ocean, there's still waves, there's still water, there's still things happening, but it's not as complete as it could be. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity today, just wrap up with this, an opportunity if you would say, well, I would like to be engaged. So if you look at this flyer that's in there, it's going to give you an opportunity today that you would say, okay, Ron, I hear you. I want to be involved. I want to be engaged. I want to use my gifts. I want to use the calling that God has given me. And so here are opportunities that you can look at. There are opportunities in the church, opportunities in the community. What's not here, I noticed in first service, opportunities in the world. So if you're thinking world's, your, world's it, and um, so you don't have to do anything. So
So, but if you think world's it, just write world here, and we'll contact you and talk about what do you mean by that? How would you like to be involved in helping us to be engaged in the world? So look through this, if you would, just a minute. There's guest services to help people to feel welcomed, help people to want to come back. There's groups in spiritual growth, help people come together and to grow, and not just in uh, knowledge, but in uh, relationship with God and each other, facilities care. Uh, I just this, this is one of the heartbeats for me is the people who come and serve our church to make sure that it's always excellent in every way. Working with students. Oh my, when you see what happens in our student ministry wing, what Dennis is doing such a great job with the team of leaders who work there and the students who engage. Uh, I just think this is one of the crisis points for our uh, culture right now would be students, what students are getting from all of their uh, educational outlets, but also from their social media is not about God. And so we get an opportunity to kind of fill in and help and make a difference in that way. So you might want to help their children to be the same way. Community impact, this is the teams that we're involved with out in the, in the community and through our care, how we help each other, through worship arts, being able to be involved in helping what we do to um, have our services to be the best and excellent it can be. And then also dear to my heart is our special needs. Uh, we have another special needs dance coming up soon and just so excited about what God is doing in this area. So I'm just going to give you a chance to look through this. I'd love for you to pick one thing today. Here's the deal. If you already serve, I'm not asking you to do more. Remember that? I'm not asking you to do more. In fact, you just might write on the back where you already serve so we can be aware of that and just know. But I'm not asking you. I'm just saying, would you please find one place, one place that you would say you'll serve? And just look through this for just a few minutes. I'll just give you some time to do that. You're a guest today. You're thinking, well, I'd like to help. Go ahead. We'd love to have your help, too. Love to have your involvement. So I'm just going to give you just a second, and you can look at this, and you can find what would be fitting for you. Okay, thanks so much for doing that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to have seen this picture of Jesus today and this story and being able to hear from him. Jesus, I, I want to pray for anyone in the room who's never said yes to Jesus, have never received the cleansing that Jesus offers through the cross. If that's you, would you just say something like this? Jesus, I come to you for cleansing today. I've sinned. My sin has wrecked my life, wrecked the lives of those around me, and I want your forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me with your blood that was shed on the cross. Forgive me, Jesus. 
Jesus, now I ask you to help me to know what it's like to experience your love. I've never felt that kind of love before. I'm, I'm not sure I know how. I'm not sure I'm able to walk in it regularly. And so I, I just want to let you know up front, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you as a kid would, as a toddler might. I'm going to be up and down. And, and I just know you'll trust that you'll love me. Your love is my firm foundation. And that I want to walk with you for the rest of my days now. Experience your love and know your love all the way to the end and into glory in heaven. And God, I pray for all of us that that would be our heart's desire. That we'd look for opportunities that, with the things that, with the gifts that have, been putting in, that have been put inside of us, the passions that are burning and deep in our souls, uh, that the opportunities that are so many around us, that you would help us to just take that step, just take that step to move out and serve. But I think the bigger, bigger thing I want to ask right now is that you'd help us to identify as a servant. Talk a lot about self-identifying in our culture today. We'd identify as servants. And then it was just natural to serve as that's who we are. And But we do it out of love. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.